0: morning I am continuing in a series of sermons on Mondays focused on leadership with insights gleaned from the lives of King Saul and King David. Our text today comes to us from 1 Samuel 15, beginning at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. When Samuel came to Saul... Saul said to him, May you be blessed by the Lord, I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of cattle I have heard? Saul said, They've brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The word of the Lord. Holy God, once again, we've come here in the middle of the day to place our lives in front of your word, asking that you would be gracious to our seeking of it. In the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, amen. This 15th chapter begins with the same words that our text today uh, ends with, with Samuel saying, the Lord sent you, sent me to anoint you to be king over Israel. Samuel says this repeatedly to Saul, you've been anointed king. Samuel is actually devoted to Saul, frankly more devoted than the Lord is to Saul, and stays with Saul as far as he can to keep reminding him he's been anointed king by God. Then he says, you've been anointed king by God, now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. The implication being that Part of what it means to be anointed is to know how to listen to the word of God. God never gives leaders a mission saying, go out there and accomplish it, and when you've done, come and tell me and I'll give you another one. Now, One of the first insights this text gives us about leadership is that God remains in control of God's people. God insists on being the true leader of the people. Saul was never asked to do more than to continue to seek the word of the Lord, who is the actual one directing the lives of the people. Let us all remember this as we leave here to engage in leadership ministries. It's always God's ministry, it doesn't belong to you. I think God sometimes places hands over holy eyes when down below we talk about my church or my ministry or how I'm doing in my work." Get off the hook. It's not your work, it's not your ministry, it's not your church. Anytime you gather together with other pastors and conferences, you'll soon hear this kind of language, how things are going at your church, how things are going at my church. I was at one while I was serving a church in Pittsburgh, and someone asked me, how many people are you worshiping now? I said, well, one. Uh, <laughs> how many are you worshiping? Um, We we gather together to worship one God. The task of the leader is to struggle with the people to keep hearing Samuel's voice. What is the word of God for us now? But it remains God's ministry. When the word comes from Samuel to Saul, it's all about the Amalekites at this point. They've invaded Israel again. Last week we looked at the Ammonites, now it was the Amalekites. They've invaded Israel, and they've been plundering the people plunderers, taking the spoils of war. God told Saul to drive out the Amalekites. In fact, it's actually quite a bit harsher than that. He was told to destroy the Amalekites and all of their stuff. These are hard texts for Christians to read and know quite what to make of after hearing Jesus say to love your enemies. So how do we find the word of God when we're told to destroy the enemy? That is a fantastic question, but not one suited for an eight-minute homily in Miller Chapel. But it's an important one, and one we struggle with, and one of the reasons why we have three years of education here just for the masters to deal with these kinds of hard, hard, important questions. The best that I can do is to skirt a little bit on the edges of it to find what is obviously God's word to us. Saul does as he is told to do, he defeats the Amalekites, but he doesn't destroy all their stuff, because his soldiers wanted the spoils of war, so he kept the best sheep and cattle and the most valuable things they could find in the enemy's camp in order to make his soldiers happy. Notice the irony of this. God was furious with the Amalekites for plundering the Israelites, and now... Saul and his soldiers had become plunderers of their enemies. Another insight on leadership here, if you get focused on what your enemy has, what your enemy has done to you, on how the enemy has victimized you, you will become the enemy. You will take on his or her character. You will become this person that you hate because the enemy then becomes your God and you end up reshaping yourself in that image one of the most important insights leaders have to learn is to not focus on the enemy, which you will inevitably have. doesn't matter what kind of work you do, whether it's nonprofit work or, or academic work or parish work. There's going to be somebody who's going to think their calling is just to put their finger in your eye as often as they can. And they're going to decide that before you even show up. That has nothing to do with you. And you can get preoccupied with that person figuring out how you marginalize that person, how do you plunder this person, and you will become that person. So Samuel, out of his concern for Saul, comes to him and says, how did the battle go? Saul says, well, he did what the Lord asked. And Samuel says, what's that bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? There are cattle who are lowing. And Saul says, oh, well, yeah, we kept some, uh, for um, a sacrifice to give to the Lord. (laughs) That's it. That's why we kept them. Samuel says, stop it. Just stop. The Lord has no need of sacrifice. What the Lord asks of you is obedience. Again, when you gather together with clergy, it's not long before they start talking about their sacrifices of ministry, how much it's cost them, how much they've given up along the way. But as you listen to these sacrifices, it's not always certain that these are sacrifices that God asked of them. Most of the time, the sacrifices of ministry that we complain about are sacrifices that leaders endure in order to make our people happy. Keeping the customer pleased. Just as Saul tried to make his soldiers happy. That's why he tried to sacrifice for them. The Lord isn't asking for that. Saul responds by saying to Samuel, You're right, I have sinned against God because I feared the people. Isn't that powerful? He's supposed to be the leader, but he feared the people he's supposed to be leading. So then again, Samuel says, You're anointed by God. You've been called by God to this task, to this holy task of hearing the word of God and obeying and responding. One of the most prevailing themes of leadership these days is what some scholars of leadership call transactional leadership. In transactional leadership, the leader is able to stay in power, but is always accountable to the people. So if you elect a political leader, then the leader goes to Washington, DC, tries to get more spoils from DC for the home constituency, and as long as the leader plunders DC's revenues sufficiently, that leader gets to stay in power. Or, this is also the prevailing model of corporate leadership. As long as the CEO returns enough plunder to the stakeholders, the CEO gets to keep her or his job. There's a transaction. I get to have power as long as I make you happy. You find this nowhere affirmed in scripture. Every model of leadership that we're called to is one of transformation which we respond to the anointing of God, to enter in to the holy drama with these people, to seek and to search and to find what it is that God is calling us to do this day. And sometimes that means that people are thrilled with that, and sometimes they're not so thrilled. But the call is to bring people into the worship of God, even not just on Sunday morning, but even in every ordinary decision that is being made. And there we are overwhelmed with the awe of God. If you don't do this, if you succumb to transactional leadership, if you think that you're just there to make the customer happy, you're going to know that the leaders people make, they can destroy, and you will be afraid of your people. If you're just interested in making the customer happy, you should get into a management training program at Walmart. Not here. This is not what we do. If you're interested in entering the holy drama of gathering together with people and showing them how to lift up their eyes and their hands, to enter into the awe of a God who has holy dreams and plans for us, then you're in exactly the right place. Because this is our mission, preparing for that. The only way you can avoid fearing the people you lead is to be more afraid of God. Not afraid of God who's going to judge you or slam you or hurt you, but fear in the sense of this holy awe of a God who has these great, holy, spectacular dreams for us. There's a lot of talk about clergy burnout, especially amongst younger pastors. A lot of anxiety about why it is that pastors aren't staying longer in the ministry. When we talk to pastors who have left, especially those who've left early, no one says they left the ministry because they got called too many times in the middle of the night to go to the emergency room. Nobody says they left the ministry because they had to hold too many trembling hands in prayer. Nobody says they left the ministry because they just couldn't handle writing sermons or leading Bible studies. Those who leave, leave because they got tired of running a nonprofit organization, they got tired of being the manager of the club trying to keep the members happy and satisfied for the dues they pay, which, frankly, aren't all that much anyway. And they just burn out. That's because somewhere along the line, like Saul, they took their eyes off of the awe of God and became in awe of their own people. You want to love the people, you want to take them deep into your heart, but you cannot be in awe of the people you lead. Awe belongs alone to Jehovah. As Samuel walks away from Saul after this, Saul grabs for him. just gets a piece of his robe and he rips it off. Samuel, who can't resist a metaphor either, says, So has God ripped you out of his plans. And the anointment was taken away from Saul. The next chapter, we start to hear about David. Here's the good news in this. There's always somebody else who can do what you're doing. There's always a David. Take that as comfort, not as fear. When you begin your leadership, again, whether it's uh, in a nonprofit or the church or uh, in the classroom, it's not gonna be long before someone comes up and puts their hand and arms around you and says, Wow, are you good at this. We've never had anybody here who does this as well as you do. If it wasn't for you, we'd have we'd have to shut this place down. That stuff goes down so easily. But I'm telling you, it's poison to your soul. Because you're not necessary. Not if you're the servant of a God who alone is leading the people. You get to lead. You don't got to lead. You get to do this. You get to so you can lead in freedom without burden or burnout, or it's all up to me. When I was a student here, um, I was taking a New Testament class on Revelation, being taught by Dr. Bruce Metzger, and he was doing what he would typically do in class. He was just going on through his lecture notes in his three-piece suit, always a three-piece suit. And at one point, right in the middle of the lecture, he did something he'd never done before. He stopped, and he took his glasses off, And he was lecturing on the lordship of Jesus Christ and the ultimate triumph of Christ. And he says, women and men, I hope that when you begin your ministries, you'll start every morning by getting on your knees and thanking God that you are not necessary. And he went back to his lecture. So I wrote this down because, you know, it could be on the test. I didn't know. Um, But this thing stuck with me more than much anything else he said in that entire <laughs> course. I, was, I left here. I began my ministry. For the first several years, I struggled over this, this admonition from Dr. Metzger. Thank God that you are not necessary. I kept thinking the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Certainly, we're all needed. Really? can we use the word of need? Certainly, God you know, is, needs more of us to help as if... <laughs> That's a heresy in itself, as if God has needs. So I kept struggling with it until I came back from my five-year class reunion, and I found Dr. Metzger walking across the quad, and I ran up to him. I said, Dr. Metzger, you said this thing in class once. It was kind of a throwaway line, I'm I'm sure. Um, Think that we should get up every morning if we're in leadership, get on our knees then, and thank God that we're not necessary. I was just wondering if, you know, maybe you wanted to, take that back, or, (laughs) he said, no, no, Craig, you're not necessary, (laughs) he says it to say, especially you, we could get by, you're not necessary, then he gave me the second line that I wish he had given five years ago, he says, you're too important to be necessary, you are cherished, Why would you want to be necessary when you can be cherished? You serve in leadership because out of God's love you've been anointed to it, but not because you're needed. He says necessities, that's the language of addiction. You don't want to be addicted to your job. You want to give the love of God to the people you've been called to serve. That's what it means to be anointed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.